Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, what's going on, No Bad Dog Army? It is the Monday after Christmas, after the holidays, and I hope everyone had a merry, merry, safe Christmas. Uh, for us, it was busy. We hosted uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas. It was... Uh, Pretty busy for us. Very busy. Cooking dishes, cooking dishes, cooking dishes, <laughs> like a lot of other people. But it was beautiful hanging out with family and semi-relaxing. So I hope everyone had a beautiful, safe holiday season. I am super fired up for this next year. Uh, you know, really what I'm trying to do in the, I guess, in the dog industry is blaze a new trail, uh, be untraditional, help dog owners in, in ways that have never been done before, just be creative and, and do the best I can to to help you guys, the No Bad Dog Army, and to help dog owners out there understand their dogs and better their relationships. So I'm super excited about all the f- exciting things we have next year that's just new, and I'm just just pumped up about it, and I wish I could tell you now. But anyway, just a really quick reminder, guys, the No Bad Dog Members Club, the official No Bad Dog Members Club, is the price is going up next year. So if you want to lock in your $19.99 for all the content, you can sign up by clicking the link below. Next year, the price is going up simply because there's way more content on there than when we started. So the price is going up. If you guys want to lock in your $19.99 now, click the link below. Join the official No Bad Dog Members Club. If you don't know what it is, it's full-length videos of my YouTube videos. You see 20 minutes on YouTube, you get an hour long of all the the things that are going on behind the scenes and the things that help the dog get to that point. You're also seeing a ton of unreleased stuff that we just don't put on YouTube. My entire UK seminar is on there. All the other seminars that we're doing in the future is all going to be on there, including the No Bad Dog community. So if you guys are interested in that, click the link below. Price is going up. And at the end of this podcast, I'm going to be answering your questions. So if you don't know what that is, again, I'll inform you. So when you guys leave a review in the review column, whatever you're listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, you can also ask me a question. It's the only way to really communicate with me on the podcast. And at the end of the podcast, I answer three of those questions. So make sure you listen to the end. I'll answer some really good questions as well as possibly answer your questions. And if you want me to answer your questions in the future, all you guys have to do is go leave a review and in the review, just leave your question and I'll answer it next episode. Hope you guys enjoy. So what's going on? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I want to say that I appreciate your videos. Um, yeah, I think I think they're like the best things out there for sure. Thank if you. If you got Thank a dog. And for now, I don't have a lot of things going on, but I just want to clarify a few things so that I just know that I'm doing the right thing, if that makes sense. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I just got a German Shepherd puppy. Um, he is 19 weeks old at the moment, and he's mix of show line and working line. And so far, I got a trainer um, when I first got him. It's been four weeks, so a month. But I basically stopped working with that trainer because, um, like, everything she said just didn't make sense for me. So I started to watch your videos and I started to train him, but there are some stuff that I'm not sure if he does it because of the comment that I gave him or he just knows that that is the way to get to the food, basically. So that is, that is one of the first things that comes to my mind. 
Okay. So you're 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 working with the trainer right now, and you're trying to figure out. Um, so are are you still working with that trainer? No. Um, basically, I stopped working with him be, with, with her because she said that I only work with a clicker. Well, I mean, I don't want to use clicker to be honest, personally. And that didn't make sense for me because I'm going to lose it in a couple of days. That's for sure. So I stopped yeah. working with her. Yeah, that's just, yeah, that's why I don't use um, clicker markers either is because I use, I, I lose the, the clicker. So I just use my voice. So yeah. just, just so I know, because I'm trying to frame out what the dog knows now in the training style. So w were you, what do you not like about the training you're doing right now and what's not working about it? Yeah. Um, so basically I, the dog doesn't know many things, maybe the sits and I've been working with stay and down. So he doesn't, he doesn't know much. Um, but I think he's doing much better since I started to watch your videos and train him myself. Mm. And basically the reason I wanted to stop wor working with her, um, I, he, he's, he's pulling me so hard on the leash and I thought about, okay, like, would it be okay? Or would you show me how to introduce the prone collar later on? And then she was like, no, I mean, that is really disgusting. You even asked me that. And like, why would you, you want to use that cruel uh, tool and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, after that point, you know, especially after watching your videos, I was like, okay, I mean, uh, we're not a good fit to work together. So it doesn't make sense for me to continue with that. Yeah. Well, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a, 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 it's, it's a rabbit hole of, of why people think like that. But, you know, the biggest upside to what, what you did is you actually stood up for yourself. And a lot of people don't. They just stay in the training program. They know it's not going to work for them. They know it's not working, and they stay with it for the next, you know, eight to ten weeks. And then at the end, their dog yeah. is now six months old or whatever, and now they're in a deeper hole than they were before. So the, the best thing that you did regardless of why you did it was you walked away from something you didn't feel comfortable with for you and your dog. And that's, I think that's difficult for a lot of people to do because, uh, yeah, <clears throat> anyway. Okay. So, so you're not working with her anymore. And so, so you're struggling right now with the dog understanding the behaviors versus just doing them because there's food involved. Is that, is that correct? Yes, um, that is that is one of the first things. Um, so basically, uh, when I, when I say sit, uh, maybe he does understand, but I just want to be sure that he does, and I'm not just pulling myself because sometimes, especially inside of the house, when I say sit at certain places, he doesn't. But when I take him to the basketball court that we have around here, and he knows, like I train him every day there, and he knows that that is, there is like food involved. So he just sits and like, basically I can put him into the one corner of the basketball court and go and walk to the other one. And he stays there. There's no problem involved, but at house, it's just a different scenario. So I'm not sure if he's doing it for food or actually knows the comment or starting to understand it. Mm, okay. Yeah. And this is a common, this is a common thread that a lot of people deal with. And I, I think what I would be doing if I were you, is really working on, this is where your training comes in. This is where your skill comes in as a dog owner is to make sure that you're, you're marking the behaviors properly for the dog to, to understand it sustainably in different environments. So just making sure that the external environments don't change the behavior or, or the, what the cues of the behavior mean. 
So this is where you have to make sure that you're doing a good job. And so when you when you go out with him, make sure that when you ask, what, what's your dog's name? Uh, his name is Frodo. Frodo? Yep. So when you ask Frodo to sit, you, you really want to emphasize like, Frodo, sit, and you use your use your voice to really command the dog into a sit, uh, because that mm-hmm. that kind of tells the dog that you're serious. That tells the dog that you're working. It's not any corrective tone, and it's not any like over rewarding tone, like Frodo, sit or Frodo, sit. It's very neutral. So you want to be right in the mm-hmm. middle there and just say Frodo, sit, and that that will help you really identify and compartmentalize when you're asking the dog to do something. Hey, this this is what that means. So when the dog does it and you say, good sit, and then you, you break the dog, it, it, are all the behaviors gray right now, or is it just the sit that you're struggling with? Or um, Yeah, I mean, so, so for example, like as, as an example, I guess in the basketball court, he sits, and when I say stay, he stays, I walk around, I run around, I do circles around him, and he stays. But sometimes he sits and sometimes sometimes he lays down. So I'm not sure if that is a problem. But he stays at, at wherever that I left him. And then I reward him and come back to him and reward him. So I think he gets it. But inside of the house, when I say sit because I, I want to go to the other room, he just like gets up and jump to the door because he doesn't want to be alone. Yeah. So if that is a different scenario or if that makes it makes it like looks like it doesn't work, then yeah, he doesn't know it for sure. Yeah. And I think the other thing that you have to be mindful of is his age too. Cause even at 19 weeks, he's still a puppy, still figuring things mm-hmm. out. So you have to be realistic with your expectations too, of what you want him to do. Cause that's something that a lot okay. of people, yeah. you know, have a hard time with. So I guess my point is, is if he was, if he was taught the sit command, primarily with food in your pocket on the leash, which isn't a bad thing. Then you go out and you, you work on the sit out of that context. Like it's not going to be able to transfer in the beginning. You're going to have to spend some time trying to teach him, you know, what sit is and, and how to, Mm -hmm. how to, how to get this sit to be sustainable. So right now you're struggling with him sitting off leash away from you. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So, in the basketball court, I never put him on a leash. So sometimes he's, he, he gets distracted when other dogs are around. But sure. even today, um, there was a couple of dogs walking around off leash. And he, he still kept in the same position What because I said stay. So that that is just the thing that I'm struggling. Because sometimes he does really good and sometimes he just doesn't at all. Yeah. And a lot of that is, again, is, is it comes down to, it comes down to your, your obedience, your baseline obedience. Like you really have to make sure that you have good enough obedience to actually ask for those behaviors in that context and in that environment. Yeah. So in other words, if your obedience isn't really great, it's going to be very difficult to a, have your dog listen to you off leash and B have your dog listen to you off leash with tons of distractions. Mm -hmm. Those those are big. So, so you, what you really need to do is you really need to make sure that your obedience. Just this goes for anybody out there working with problems with their dogs, or, or or kind of stepping stones or bridges with their dogs, and they're struggling. Is you have to make sure it doesn't sound like you're on leash obedience out of context of food delivery and motivation externally, 
which means if you don't have a ball or a tug or a piece of food on you, the dog might not do the behavior you want them to do. And then you're asking the dog to do it off leash with distractions. That's what it sounds like. Yep. So I would just pull, yeah, yeah, I would, I, yeah, I would pull things back and really make sure that what I would do to test your dog or I, what I would do to test your obedience is go out on just a slip leash or something like that in the beginning and just stop and say, Frodo, sit, good sit, heel, and then heel forward. And I would do that like four or five times. And on the fifth time, I would pay the dog with whatever they like. So food, ball, whatever. Um, and, and then and then I would start introducing that a little bit off leash. So what you could do after that is you could get a long line. Because mm-hmm. it sounds to me like you're struggling with, hey, because I mean, I always talk about this too, is if your dog knows the behavior, you should be able to call out your dog's name and ask him to do it like Simon says at any given time, at any moment. Yep. But yep. you have to build to that. That's not that's not something that is 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 done overnight. That's not something that's done, you know, after your first obedience lesson. That's something that's done over time of integration and stepping stones and bridges and and kind of really painting that picture of what you want long term. But the next mm-hmm. step to that is just getting a, a long line and just saying Frodo sit, and then asking the dog to sit. So your job is to really isolate what that sit command is. And what I, what I like to do is I get a long line and I start backing up and I put the behavior, which is going to be the sit into a different context altogether. So the dog has an opportunity to capture it and capture just means understand it and go, aha, right? Just fancy Mm -hmm. dog training lingo. And what I do is I walk, so I, what is out of context for a dog to sit? Well, that would be moving away from the dog would be huge. If I can teach the dog to sit as I am moving away, that'll really help me with the off-leash work. So I get a 15 to 20-foot long line, and mm-hmm. I get a piece of, I get my treat pouch in front of me, and I start walking backwards. And that dog's going to be jumping up and down saying, yeah, 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 give me, give me, give me, work, work, work. I'll sit, I'll sit, right? So you just start walking backwards, and you don't stop. And you go real slow in the beginning. And you go, Frodo, sit. And he's going he's gonna to keep getting closer to you and closer to you and closer to you because he doesn't know the behavior out of context. He doesn't know the behavior not next to you on your left side on leash, right? So yep. dogs learn. They're very conditioned animals like anything else. Animals just condition really well. That's all they have. They just learn how to adapt to the things around them that make sense, and they chain things together. And so when the treat comes out and he puts his butt on the ground – he gets paid, but what we want him to learn is that when your when your mouth says sit, that's when he yep. should be sitting. So just take it out of context and just start backing up real slow. Just backpedal real slow, and you say Frodo sit, and he's gonna be confused. He's like, but but you're moving. That's not what we do. And you have to teach him, hey man, as soon as you put your butt on the ground, no matter what I'm doing, you're gonna get paid. So you walk backwards, you walk backwards, real slow motion. Frodo sit, he puts his butt on the ground, boom, you immediately rush to him and pay him and then break him. So he's going to go, mm-hmm. okay. huh. So, so, so then what you do is as you backpedal and you get real slow, you start speeding that up and you get faster and you mm-hmm. say, Frodo sit, and he'll just start dropping. Wherever you say sit, he'll start dropping, dropping, dropping. So that will teach him to bridge those things together that when you say sit, 
he has to do it regardless of if there's a leash or there's food or whatever involved. But that's the first way that I usually introduce the off-leash out-of-context sit is I just put a long line on. And what the long line does is it gives the dog a sense of grounding because they're on a leash. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of dogs don't listen off-leash because we never train them off-leash. So, yep. again, think about the context of, okay, a dog is learning how to do behaviors two and a half feet away from you constantly on a leash and constantly with food in your pocket. Well, as soon as you let your dog off leash with distractions with no food, poof, your, your obedience disappears. Now, that's normal for most dogs developing, right? Like you are developing behaviors right now. That's all normal stuff. But once you get to a point where you're working on it every day, then you have to start bridging those things together but that's what a lot of people do like you did is you worked with sounds like a positive only trainer which is you know it has it's that we call i just call those limited trainers they're just limited to the things that they can do there's nothing wrong with it but you just have to have realistic expectations there's limitations to that type of training for a hundred different reasons so when you're when you're out there and you're working on these things the leash also the long line also allows you to give pressure to the dog so being, mm-hmm. a, being a skillful handler and being able to give a dog pressure from a distance, you know, so if you're walking backwards and you say Frodo sit and he doesn't, that's where you put one hand up and you kind of just, you, 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 what you'll do is you'll levy the dog into a sit. So you put one hand up, you take your mm-hmm. leash and you slide it up like that. It gives the dog pressure as you're still walking backwards. But all of those things are tr- tricks of the trade. Okay. Okay. Does that sounds make, good. Does that make um, sense? So what... Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, when it comes to the basically treat, uh, like giving him treats, uh, should, like if, if we just put it into the perspective, like first 30 training sessions, I should do him, like I should give him treats every time he does it. And then I should maybe give like maybe after like five times he does it. Like, is there any way to work around that or basically structure it so that I can work towards that? work towards not using the food you mean yeah yeah exactly because like after watching your videos i even i cut the treats off right now i don't do it every time like even if he sits i just say good sit and then i basically break him off and then like make him do it again Mm -hmm. but at home especially or any any time or every time we change environment he just doesn't without the food or doesn't even look at me yeah well, you, you, yeah. I mean, I always tell people you have to be very, very careful when you're introducing rewards to a dog. And you got to think, you know, everyone thinks it's, and, and to some degree it is. And, and I just, I just, you know, I geek out over dog behavior and psychology and how they learn and all that stuff in general. So I get really into it. And I think, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's just as dangerous to not know what you're doing out there because food is a tool. Right. Food is a tool. A clicker is a tool. A leash is a tool. All these things are tools. All these things can have positive punishment, negative punishment, um, uh, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. All these things can can kind of decipher, you know, what you're doing. They're all just different tools that you turn on and off as a as an artist. You figure out how to do that. And some people are very skillful at it. And some people are mediocre and they just get by because there's no other show in town and people think that that's all they have. So. And I've seen that several times too. And so I guess to answer your question off that tangent is just understanding what your ultimate goals are. And if your ultimate goals are to teach a foundational behavior and have the dog capture what you want, 
you my mm-hmm. point is is you 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 have to be very careful how you're using food too because all of the training that you're doing and I've seen this thousands of times all of the training that you're doing with food you have to be very careful because the dog at at some point like you have that window of opportunity to teach a dog a behavior you have that window yeah. of opportunity to teach that dog the fundamentals of how to work for food and and develop these behaviors sit down place you know foos plots whatever you want to do and if you're using food and you're using it wrong you'll develop all of your you're basically take that window of the dog's foundation yeah. like a child between the ages of 3 to seven of like when they're a sponge and they learn all of their Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, for the most part, you got to be really careful that you don't do it wrong because if you do it wrong, you miss that window and then you have to go and redo it and it's confusing and it's conflicting and it's frustrating. So I'm just giving you some, some, some context and background about using food and, uh, how careful you have to be to do it because that's the reality is, is food is a very powerful, powerful potentially dangerous tool. Now, I say dangerous because if your dog is predicating behaviors off of food and they make a decision off of currency, which means they chase the squirrel instead of get the hot dog, that's dangerous because your dog could get hit by a car if you don't have an alternative, right? That's why limited dog trainers or positive-only dog trainers are limited to, to what they can do because once that basically rabbit is out of the hat, you're screwed. You have nothing else. You're in big trouble, and now you have no other quadrants to work with because you're, you're limiting yourself. Right. So when you're, when you're, when you're using food to get to your question, (laughs) when you're using food, you have to be very careful. So you have to randomize your reward schedule, right? So when you go out, this is what a good handler does. This, this is something that is very difficult for myself and others to teach. This is something that you either have or you don't. It's finesse. It's timing. It's, 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 you know, just kind of feeling the dog out much like dance. I can't, no matter if I'm the best dancer in the area, I can't teach you how to move your body. You have to just know how to do it. That's why dog training to me or working mm-hmm. with dogs is very art formish. So when you're rewarding your dog, you want to emphasize, you know, a jackpot reward of when they finally do it. So I have like an incremental schedule. If in the beginning, what I like to do when I work with like a puppy, say Frodo's age, a 19 a 19 yep. week german shepherd i would go out and i would really work on building that drive building that frustration building that workability building that relationship and i would have a leash to help reinforce some of these things so you'd say frodo sit if the dog knows sit well you'd give the dog pressure what a lot of people do they make the mistake of frodo sit the dog doesn't sit we give them pressure their butt hits the ground and then you pay them that's not a terrible thing, but you have to be careful about what you're paying because you just paid the dog for for non-compliance. So you have to pay the dog mm-hmm. at the right time, and you have to pay the dog when they do it like really good. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So basically, you don't pay them when they half-ass it or when you force them to do something. Right. They just need to do it willingly so that it 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 makes it valuable when yeah. you finally pay them. Yeah, and I think okay. it just, yes, the answer is yes to that. But I think it also really just depends on the dog's behavior and the dog's personality too. I mean, if you get a very mm-hmm. confident dog out there, you can you can wait for perfection or close to it. You can wait for the dog to really nail what you want to do. But if you're dealing with a dog that's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm uh, I don't know about this whole sit thing. I don't know about this whole place thing. That bed looks kind of scary. Th- th- and that's where, again, like dog training is extraordinarily 
discretionary, which is why it drives me crazy when people put themselves into boxes when they're training dogs because you're only hurting the dog because you can't switch gears. You've got to constantly be able to switch gears, which is what I love to do. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so so it's really just a, a creative discretionary thing on the dog that you're working with. But it, with Frodo, for an example, sounds like an independent, confident dog that's like ready to work. And so I would put him on a leash and I would ask him to do this stuff. And, and you would use your, your verbals to kind of influence the dog of what they're doing is good too. So I kind of cheer the dog mm-hmm. on. And after the cheering phase, I I – limit the cheering after a while so it's kind of like with kids you know they first learn how to ride a bike they go around the circle once you're cheering them on you're like oh my god yes but then you know when they're eight years old i'm not out there going good job you ride your bike you know (laughs) you know it's discretionary on your training style and the dog that you're working with there's some extent if i'm working with a fearful dog who is afraid of the place command and after 20 minutes finally puts a paw up there i'm like yeah good place you know people are like you should never reward a dog for half-assing something but i'm like yeah but when a dog mm-hmm. just starts to really catch on to these things, I'm really rewarding them for that. And then eventually the yay, good place, the cheering on kind of goes away. So that's kind of my theory. Oh. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yep. And um, I took some other notes. So I haven't done anything about the heel or the place command. Is there any optimal way for me to teach um, heel to Frodo? Or basically, for example, you mentioned that every dog is different and you need mm-hmm. to kind of know their personality. Is there any, let's say, way to an owner to get to know their dogs in a better way? I mean, I know it takes a lot of user practice, but even maybe just a bit of practice or looking up to certain things so that we get to know our dogs better. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I think just spending time with them and, and teaching them new stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and working with them and, and developing things that you want to do with the dog. Uh, so, so again, it just depends on the training. Like everybody okay. thinks that's why I don't call myself a dog trainer because I'm not. Um, yeah. Working with dogs in general is so complex. It's like you're a chef. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where? What kind? What continent? What style, you know, it's like, there's so many different variables. So when you're working with dogs, it just depends on what you're working on. Like, so for me, I do a lot of behavior modification stuff. I do a lot of relationship building stuff. I help people understand their dogs. That's not dog training, right? That's, that's counseling. (laughs) So, so when you're developing a relationship with your dog, I think structure is huge. I think that, you know, if I were to write a book, it'd be three pages. And one of those pages would be structure. You have to really... Mm -hmm have good structure with your dog. And that, that just means a filter. You have to have some sort of filter with your dog. So when you say something, it matters. If you say something to your kids and they just don't even care that you're listening, it's the same thing with dogs. If you say, Hey, Frodo do this, they're like right over your head. That's a huge problem. That's a deadly problem. Uh, and that's a problem that you're going to see many things pop up in the future. So I think structure is big, just doing very basic threshold building stuff. I think that that's important for, for the development, but yeah, it just depends on, depends on what you want to work on. If you're telling me, Hey, I want to be a show line dog. Well, then you're never going to teach your dog how to sit right ever. You're never going to do that. Right. Or, or if you, if you're training your dog to be uh, a Mondio ring three dog or a PSA three dog, you're going to do so many different things. So it really just depends on what you, if you're just developing a, a good listening pet that you can bring places that's stable, you know, that's a different story too. You're, so everything is, you know, changes. 
Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I got it. Um, yeah. So let me just reach out. We mentioned like paying attention and structure. Like you always mention them in your videos. When you say structure, like what do you mean by that exactly? It's just like, um, like a, j just as an example, before they go and off the door or coming inside of the house, just making them sit and then once you break them, them coming in or like applying structure to everything. Basically. Yeah. Well, I think, I think structure is a lot like, kind of like the military does structure, right? It's like wake up at six, make your bed at six ten, shine your boots at six fifteen. So there's, there's just certain things that we, we ask a dog to do like, right. So yep. going into a sit before we open the door, asking the dog to sit before we let him out of a crate sitting politely to put the leash on, uh, so on and so forth. But the biggest thing about the structure is that everyone misses, that everyone misses, that this is the reason why dogs have anxiety and stress and become aggressive and become reactive and your dog doesn't listen to you and doesn't recall and doesn't come back and doesn't sit when you say and doesn't come down when people come over is accountability. So everybody wants to have a well-trained dog, but they don't want to put in the work to have accountability. Accountability in dog terms is very simple. If there's not a consequence for something that they want to do, currency, why the hell would they, would they choose you over something they really want to do? They're never going to learn. They're never going to respect it. And they're certainly never going to do it when the currency game comes out. So I think structure to me would be having an equal part of, I want you to do something that you know. And if you don't do it, there's accountability, right? That puts you in structure. So again, going to the military, the military just by general, if you will, or by, a, by, let's just say a big picture is maybe somebody or something or someone wanting more structure, wanting more discipline, wanting more respect. Well, it's very simple. They ask them to do very, 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 very simple things, but there's accountability if they don't do it. If you sleep in to 830 at night, or sleep in at 10 o'clock in the morning and you're a U.S. military Marine Corps person, right? There's consequences for that. Your whole platoon is now running and you're doing this and you're doing that. There's consequences for these very basic things. So, I, But but after the, the term that they do, they come out different, right? They, they For the most yeah. part, it's a general thing. It's like a, a world-renowned, doesn't matter if you're in China, U.S., Australia, Pakistan, whatever. Whatever the heck it is, the military gives gives individual structure. And I, and I think, again, without diving too deep and getting too political, it's a very simple task of asking a dog to do something that we really know that they know well and hold, holding them mm -hmm. accountable if they, if they decide to not listen to us because that's problematic. And it's not for our egos and for us to be big and bad. It's because when we say something to our dog, we care and we want them to do it because it could save their life. Yep. So accountability yep. is huge as far as structure goes. Okay, that makes sense. Um, like, when it comes to leash pulling, uh, should I use a prong collar already? Because I don't think he's a very sensitive dog. So I try to correct him with a harness on because uh, like I, the only reason I bought a harness is the trainer sent me a couple of links yeah. but using yeah. a flat collar, damaging their necks or sure. throat. And that just scared me off. Uh -huh. But then I realized that you can use anything in a wrong way and that is going to cause damage. Correct. So I don't want to use harness because it just only 
encourages them to pull more, in my opinion. Well, yeah, that's why the harness was invented, is to to yeah. be safer for dogs to pull on. That's why they're invented. That's why they're used every day. So, yeah, that doesn't mm-hmm. work. Um, I, yeah, I've proved that many times. If you've watched any of my videos yeah. on harnesses, it's very clear. But anyway, with that being said, I think that you just have to move to something with action. And I think the, mm-hmm. the slip leash is the best place to start. And okay. the, yeah, yeah I, I just put some slip leashes out um, on my website. And those are the best slip leashes that we have out right now. Um, I wouldn't, mm-hmm. yeah, we've, yeah, th- those are great. I, I would get yourself a slip leash in the beginning. And, and again, like you have to, this kind of, this is a template for everything that we'll talk about. Like everything that I talk about with most people is, is you have yep. to, you have to make sure that your dog understands what you're asking them to do before you give them a ton of pressure. So if you're going okay. out and you're working, if you're going out and you're working on heel and an environment that's very distracting, then you better be really good at heel and your dog really must be sharp. Cause if you're outside with distractions working on that stuff, your dog's got to be super good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So yep. just make sure so that I you're, like- you're doing here. There's a, there's a video uh, on my YouTube channel and it's called the number one secret to getting your dog to walk nicely on a leash or something like that. It's with a golden retriever yep. named Benny. Watch that video. That's the best video okay. I've ever put out on leash pressure and introducing heel. And that goes, that's a 25, 30 minute video on doing it. I would watch that. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yep. Um, another thing that he is kind of a lazy guy. Like he doesn't do, he doesn't want to do much, especially at, at the house. When I try to train him at the house, he just wants to lay down and just doesn't pay attention or doesn't want to do anything. Is there any way that I can work around it? Because um, I think I watched one of your videos and it was about like getting the dog obsessed with a toy so yeah. that it, it could be yeah. a good currency. So is there any way to work around getting them not to be lazy? Well, I think just you have to be more fun. I think you have to limit okay. limit yeah. the resources that the dog has to create self-play if you will so if there's a hundred bones and toys laying around you're not going to mean crap like you're nothing because they have all this stuff all the time so if your dog is not motivated like and and doesn't like jump and spring at the idea of work you have to limit all the things that are fun around your dog to to encourage your dog to work with you when you have those items but you know putting a leash on and just you have to be again i can't teach you how to do that some people just don't know how to work with a dog some people don't know how to motivate a dog. Some people don't know how to just be fluid with a dog. Most people don't, and that's something I cannot teach you. It's something you just have to work on. You have to watch other people do it, and, and even to that extent, there's still – some people just don't have it. A lot of my clients don't have it. We, we make do with what we have, and that's the best we can do. So getting your dog up and motivated is, is a dance you have to get up and say you do have to move your body and your arms and your mouth and your voice and the way your chest is and your shoulders and everything matters where your head is, where your shoulders, all of that goes into like a microsecond of getting the dog engaged with you. So if you're watching two dogs play, how do they know how to play? How do they know that? Well, yeah. body language, right? Their eyes, everything matters the way, the way that their head is positioned and, and they can ask another dog to play and another dog can turn that play session down 
or engage into that play in a second. And if you don't know what you're watching, you'll never understand it. And so for a human to learn how to engage a dog into play takes a great deal of skill that you just have to learn how to do. So to, to, to have a shortcut, I would put your dog on a leash and go out and start working with something. Just get your dog motivated by something and limit mm-hmm. your dog's play sessions outside of that, right? Like an athlete. You got a big game at 7 o'clock tonight. You want to play with your dog. You want to train with your dog. Well, don't – from 10 a.m. To, to 6 p.m., don't have your kids or your wife or your husband or whoever is playing with your dog do that because then the dog's going to be exhausted and now you've ruined all of your mm-hmm. opportunity yeah. for, for that. So, okay. Okay. Got that. Yeah. Um, when it comes to exercising or working them, uh, how much is too much? Because I, there is another dog trainer. Uh, his name is Tony Dennis or, or, or something like that. I mean, he basically defends the idea that exercise cannot cause problems. It just either prevents them or basically pops them out if they if they pre-existed. So, how much is too much exercise for a puppy this age? That's a great question, and it just depends on the dog. And again, like, I agree to disagree, right? Like, I would say, yeah, that makes sense, and then to some degree, it doesn't. I mean, it just depends on the dog, right? You get a, yeah. I mean, I I have I have some dogs that are this like if I have a pit bull that's six month old that. You can't burn out. Like the dog just doesn't stop. And then I have a six month old pit bull over here that can't even walk up a hill without catching their breath. So I think it okay. I know I know it doesn't answer your question exactly, but I I think what you should be doing with your dog is short and sweet, ten minute little sessions. Um as your dog matures and as your dog gets bigger, your dog is going to be able to take on more physical exercise. So they're going to be able to run and exercise and play for longer periods of time because their, their bones are developed and they have more – like right now your puppy's still growing like a weed, right? That's yeah. why dogs don't live as long as humans obviously is because they grow really fast. So you know, in the first six months of their life, they're growing to be a dog, like an adult dog in the next six months. They're done. So – um, they need it, you know, they, they need physical and mental exercise for sure. And I think to, again, give it a blanketed general advice on that is to just do short and sweet stuff. So 10 minute session break, 10 minute session break, 10 minute session break. And you'll be able to tell like if the dog is, is exhausted or if the dog isn't. And then there's also just overextending your, 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 your mental stimulation too. So you're working a dog for, 45 minutes on the same thing and they're just getting sloppy and tired and then some people are like oh no they're just being lazy i'm like no your dog's exhausted your dog is tired that you got to stop like you're doing more damage than you are doing good that's why i tell people like with puppies get a routine down and and just work with them incrementally like i i stick a puppy in a crate i get him out i work him i put him back stick a puppy in a crate i get him out i work him i bring him on a short little walk pee and poop back to the crate and and that it might be like that for a week and i'm just getting them used to just working you know, I don't get, I don't have any opportunities to work with puppies because I'm a behavior guy. People don't bring me yep. cute puppies, yep. right? Because <laughs> they're they're not a problem yeah. yet. So I don't I don't have a ton of opportunities to develop puppies because I don't get them. I'm I'm usually the behavior guy when there's a problem. So. Okay, okay, got it. And uh, one last final thing would be: Is there a way for me, or is there a way to actually notice? that he's frustrated because when he bites, when he wants to bite around and chew stuff, I just don't let him do that. 
and I put him to sit or I just lay him down. And then he gets frustrated and then he tries to get to me basically. Well, so is there a way to manage that? Because my girlfriend is kind of scared already of yeah. dogs. And that's just not helping because he gets frustrated and wants to bite us. Yeah. Well, I think you have to you have to be a solid sponge, and I know that's an oxymoron, doesn't make any sense, but you really have to you have to it, it it's an ebb and flow, right? It's 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 a very um, it's hard to explain, really. But what you what you have to do is you just have to understand your dog and really develop with your dog and and see what's appropriate and fair and what's not, right? You go out for a walk, your dog starts biting the leash. They're not frustrated at that point. I mean, it might be a frustration thing of like, hey, I want to do something, but it's not a frustration thing of like, hey, I'm, I'm done working for today or I've had enough for yeah. today or I'm exhausted for today because you know – so you got to know your dog. you got to know their workabilities. you got to know what's appropriate and what's not. And so if you're working for – you're working your dog for 25 minutes and then they start getting frustrated and they start barking at you and they start grabbing the leash and they start nipping at you and they stop listening – that's too much. You don't you don't want to get to that point with a dog. You don't want to exhaust your dog to that point. You want to break your dog. Mm-hmm. You know, 10-minute sessions break. Let him be a dog. That doesn't mean your dog has to go away. That doesn't mean your dog has to go in a crate. That doesn't mean your dog has to go inside. That just means yeah. the tasks that you're asking your dog are over. Let them break, and then you can ask them to do something again in the future. So it's hard to say because, again, it's just like everything else we've talked about is – all of these questions and all these situations are very discretionary on the dog because you can get another breed of dog that has to unwind for 45 minutes before you can even do anything with them. You know, so, so I guess it just depends, but I think, I guess my best advice to you is to know your, know your dog more. The more you work with your dog, you know, you'll realize your dog's limits and expectations, but to be successful with this dog and any other dog that we're working is keep it short and sweet. Don't bite off more than you can chew. All right, now we're going to get into some of the podcast reviews and answer some of your dog training questions. All right, you guys, the five star comes from MNW20. So thank you so much for the five star. I love Tom Davis's work from Instagram to YouTube to podcast. He, uh, he's got me hooked. Well, thank you so much. There's no question here, actually, but thank you so much, you guys. Seriously, like, especially the podcast. Like, I don't, I do all this. For you guys, you know, I, I I really do, and I really appreciate you guys um, for for sending out the love and sending out the support. This next review is actually interesting. It's a one star review, and Stephen Kolaski says, "Is this guy a dog trainer?" Question mark. This can't be a real person giving dog training advice and making money at it. He doesn't have a clue how to do anything but word vomit and bring down the entire industry with idiotic misinformation. Wow. That is really powerful stuff, Stephen. So thank you so much for the uh, one-star review there. That's very interesting. I try really hard to help as many people as I can, and a lot, you know, I think a lot of people like it. But you know, this is just part of it, guys. This is just, you know, this is a one-star review from Stephen Kolaski. So these are just some of the things that we deal with. It's one out of a thousand, guys. So you know, it happens. We can't please everybody, Stephen. I, I I wish you the best. I wish you. Uh, a, a successful future in whatever you're doing. I also hope that you find some sort of hope and, and, and happiness in the future instead of going on podcasts. And it's not even like a one star on, I don't like this guy's information because of these reasons. I don't like his microphone. I think his philosophies and, 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 and his, 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 pre, his teachings are whatever. It's just, this guy can't be real giving dog training advice and making money. 
So whenever I get something like this, I immediately think like it's either jealousy or it's insecurity from this individual. But whenever you get, this is just a little rant, whenever you guys get like not just me but anybody else, you get somebody that, but we see this sometimes on Instagram and on YouTube, some people hate and it's okay to hate because that's what fuels me the most. That's what uh, motivates me to do better because obviously if this person is sincere and really thinks I, the only thing I do is sit behind a microphone and word vomit and I bring, <laughs> I bring down the entire industry, what an interesting concept considering I'm not in the dog training industry at all and I separate myself from the industry because of people like this, 100%. This is the reason why, guys, that I do not incorporate myself into the dog training industry is because there's people like this that go on my channel and say, he's bringing down the entire industry with idiotic misinformation. So again, guys, like you got to really read between the lines when you're looking at some of this stuff. And I know I do. Obviously, this person is not coming from a good place. They don't have much to do, etc. So thank you, Steven. I try to be as transparent as I can on here. So it's not all five-star reviews, but this is probably the first bad review I've gotten in probably this year, actually. So this just gives you guys another opportunity to go to my podcast and leave a, leave a review and, uh, you know, just try to let me know what you guys think about it. We're going to get into one more. Bane, 0079, five stars. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the information. I've learned so much in your podcast and YouTube videos. The question is not necessarily a dog training, but more behavior. Since you understand dogs so well, don't tell Steven that. <laughs> I have a one-year-old pit mix, and I also foster dogs. I have been fostering dogs since my pit was a puppy, adults, puppies, males, females, all, t all sorts of dogs. So she is very dog friendly just because she has been around so many dogs since she was born pretty much. My question is, behaviorally speaking, how does this affect her? Or in general, how does fostering affect permanent dogs in the home? She has never seemed to have any issues with it. She will just get very attached very quickly to the dogs that I foster, and I will be sad when they when they go home and leave me. But until I bring home a new dog to play with her, I just always wonder what she thinks of different dogs constantly coming and going. Will she ever have uh, have to leave eventually? Um, oh, your question is, is, do you think she'll ever think that she has to leave? I don't know. It's a great question. And, and I, I don't really know the answer to this because – it's just, it's such an in-depth answer of like, what does a dog think when I bring other dogs around? I mean, obviously your dog likes these dogs. They, they, your dog likes these encounters, which is really nice. Um, so I think that that's, that's one thing to look at is it, your dog isn't nervous. Your dog isn't fearful. Your dog isn't becoming aggressive or protective or anxious. Your dog simply takes these dogs in as they come and then gets attached to them, loves up on them, and then they leave. And I think if your dog is constantly doing that, I think you'll be okay. I mean, as long as your dog just doesn't start to resent some of these dogs that are coming in uh, and, and get upset and get frustrated that newer dogs are coming in, it sounds like your dog's having a great time. And it, it doesn't seem like there's any problems so far. I think your dog's just being a great advocate. I think your dog is probably being a good leader. Your dog is probably being a good... Um, nanny, if you will, to say, hey, guys, welcome to the house. Uh, you know, here's how we do things around here. We're going to play and we're going to whatever. So I think, yeah, it's a tough it's a tough question. But, you know, as far as the outlined question here is your dog seems happy. Your dog is doing well with all of them. I understand that the dog gets attached, but, you know, uh, it, it, it does happen. You know, if, if you're doing the bigger deed by 
being a foster and getting the dogs a forever home and just kind of being a halfway place for them. So I think that that's, that's the best that you can do. So, so anyway, I think, I think you're good by that. Unless your dog starts to show other signs of resentment or frustration or anger or aggression or um, resource guarding, things like that, I think you'd be okay. So anyway, guys, I, I really appreciate everyone listening. And again, thank you so much, Stephen Kowalski, for the one star about is this guy even a dog trainer? You are the reason why I'm not in the dog training industry, actually, because it's toxic, toxic, toxic stuff because people do this all the time. So this person is probably a dog trainer that just, uh, I don't know. You know, th- These are the things that we deal with. So Stephen, I pray for you. I hope that you find happiness, and I hope that you don't watch content that you hate and tell people about how much you hate them because that's just toxic and it's not good for any environment regardless of what the industry is. But everybody else, if you're listening, go do me a favor and leave me a review on what you honestly think about it, even if it is the the reviews like Stephen Kowalski who absolutely hates everything that I do and doesn't believe that I even get paid to talk about dogs. But anyway, as you guys know, No Bad Dog Remy, this is the reason why we're doing it is to prove people like that wrong and to help dog owners at the end of the day because people like Steven don't matter and the 357 of you who have given me five-star reviews do. So I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Again, go leave a review. Let me know what you guys think of the podcast and I'll answer your questions in the next podcast. Bye.